Come on and pray with me. People from every nation and tongue, from generation to generation, we are a part of those people, Lord. We come to you, entrusting our lives to you again, asking you to fill us with your spirit and apply your word to our minds that we might not grow shallow and to our hearts that we might not grow cold and to our feet that we might be doers of the word and not hearers only. Amen. Please be seated. Let me tell you what we're going to do this morning. We're talking about that generation, generation. We just sang, um, we see a generation coming forth to take its place with selfless faith. Let me ask you, how's it going to happen? We belong to a culture where we're losing 60 to 70% of the children of faith out of the traditional religious institutions. How's that going to happen? Well, I'm glad you asked. I'm going to tell you. First of all, let me give you the big picture because we don't just focus on a task. We want to see what God is doing. And what God is doing is he is calling a people to get heaven into earth. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's what, that's what he taught us to pray. And so we know from that he didn't just come to get us into heaven. He came to get heaven into earth through us. And he's going to do that through a particular people that Jesus envisioned. When there were people who claimed him as Lord and Savior, he said, on you, I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So he's going to call to himself a group of people that bust up hell, both in the world and in their own lives. And the building blocks of that church, well, really, there's only one building block. It's called a disciple. A disciple is someone who is established in the faith and growing in Christ. And the power of Christ flows through him or her to the benefit of others. And so, we come to the subject of the morning. How do you pass on your faith? See, we're going through these discipleship materials, and I want every one of you to go through at least the first three books of these, because it's called, they're called Becoming a Disciple. Let me, let me just say this to you. When it says becoming a disciple, you can't pass on what you don't have. You can teach what you know, but you can only reproduce who you are. And so therefore, if you're not a disciple, you can't make disciples. It doesn't work. You can teach them all kinds of religious information, but you can't make disciples. And so the first book is becoming a disciple. The second one is getting around you a spiritual community that will sustain you just as Jesus did. Because I am is really us. And then the third book is about the mission for them there. So we're going through this and, and, and we, we, we're just kind of taking now snippets from the other books so that you know, as you, as you, if you go through this whole curriculum, and many of you are overachievers and you will, you'll get to a series two, book two, and it's called Passing on Your Beliefs. And that's, I just want to take one lesson from this. 
and give you the spirit of why it's important to pass on your beliefs. As I said before, we live in a post-Christendom era, which isn't a bad thing because, because it lets us know what we've got to do. We've got a job. If we want to continue to spread the faith, we've got a job. And the most heartfelt place to start that is with children. Now, I'm going to talk to you about discipling your children today, but, but um, it's, it's more than just for those of you who have children or grandchildren or nephews and nieces, uh, or, or it's for all of you who are an influence in someone else's life. Do you know how many of those uh, uh, there are here? Here? All of you. All of you are an influence. And when it comes to obedience, when it comes to passing on, you can only do that as you have a relationship, an influential relationship. And in order to have that, you've got to invest in them. You've got to invest in people, especially your children. I've told you before, there's no intimacy without investment. There's no intimacy with people. There's no intimacy with God without investment. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So you've got to invest that which is important to you, including your money. By the way, I've, I've been watching the offerings the last few weeks. Some of you need to give God some love this morning. The point is not, though, the money. The point is the intimacy, the walking with God to fulfill, watch this, your purpose. I want to talk to you about obedience this morning, but not obedience like you've ever heard it before. Because obedience that we usually talk about, in the, in the way we usually talk about it, is about behavior modification. But that's not what obedience is really about in the Bible. I'm going to read to you the text of this third uh, lesson in this book. And the text comes out of Colossians chapter 3, starting with verse 20. And it's from a parent to a child. But it could be from any influential person, any mentor to any mentee. It says, children, be obedient to your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they will not lose heart. I want, to, I want you to think of obedience in terms of focus. I want you to understand the blessings of limitations. Now, usually limitations irritate us. They, 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 they rub us the wrong way. We don't want limitations. There are companies that are, that are uh, you know, have, have their name unlimited, you know. Well, let me tell you how that works out in a life. When you don't limit yourself, you just flounder forever. It takes focus to get success. And that's why limitations were a part of the original paradise in Eden. You remember, God took the man and put him into the garden, it says in Genesis 2.15, to cultivate it and to keep it, to produce and protect, which is how most men are wired, produce and protect. And then in verse 16, it says, by the way, anytime God gives you a job, he'll give you the resources for that job. And so he gives him the resources for the job. It says in verse 2.16, it says, and the Lord God commanded the man said, from any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat, for in the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. 
He's got all the resources on planet Earth except for one. There's a limitation and it bugs him. And the serpent comes, who's the representative of Satan, and he makes it worse because he hints that the guy's more limited than he really is. Did God say that you shouldn't eat of any tree of the garden? God said exactly the opposite. You can eat of every tree of the garden. But what was planted in their minds? What was planted in the minds of, the, of Adam and Eve? Focus on what you can't have. Focus on what you can't have. Don't take your limitations as a blessing. Take your limitations as a curse. Now, it's pretty easy in our minds to tell the difference between God's voice and, voice and the devil's voice. Really easy. God's voice says, I want you to pour into what I've given you. I want you to make the most of what I've given you. Because what I've given you is plenty enough to accomplish the purpose for which you were made. The voice of the devil always says, I want you to think about what you can't have. I, that's where I want, I, that, I, I want you to keep thinking about what you can't have. Now let me pull you back to God's side, because that's my job. My job is to say, God will give us a limited resource in order to build in us focus, character, and dependence on him. Limitations help us to trust God, help us to depend on God. In the end, that's the thing that really counts. So the limitations are a blessing. And the focus on what we can do gives us the power, more power than we can imagine. Some of you know the stories of my childhood. I've told them often enough. But I, 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 whenever I think of focus and the blessing of limitation, I think of this memory I have, true story. Um, I, my father died when I was four. We were very poor, raised by a single mom and just didn't have any extra money. And we lived in a fairly poor neighborhood, but we were the poorest in the neighborhood. So uh, I, we, we had a whole gang of kids and, 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 and this is when they first started making squirt guns. Most of you are too, remember, or too young to remember how crummy the first squirt guns were. There was no such thing as a super soaker, you know. You know we had these like German Lugers, you could see through them, you know, and, and, but they didn't squirt very far. It was just like me, you know, and, and so it ended up, you, just, you know, kind of like a priest, you know, you're looking. And, and, and so it, it just, they just weren't very good, but everybody had one except me. So I go to my mom, you know, and I say, Mom, Every kid in this neighborhood has a squirt gun, except me. And they're all squirting me. <laughs> you know, you try to be as dramatic as you can possibly be. And mom looked at me sympathetically and said, honey, Joey, you know we don't have money for that. I wish I could buy you a squirt gun. We just don't have any money for toys. And I said, but mom, uh, nobody will like me. And she'll say, honey, she'd say, honey, don't worry about that. Well, every, every kid knows that 
if you have grandparents, that's the natural court of appeals. When something doesn't work out with your parents, you go to your grandparents. That's the court of appeals. And so I was very close to my grandparents, and I walked into their house, and I don't, you don't ask them. You don't come right out and ask. You're just going to hang your bottom lip out there. You know, you look really sad. You know, and finally they'll say, Joey, what's wrong? And I looked at my, my grandfather, and I said, Pop, all the kids in my neighborhood have a squirt gun, but I don't have any, and I don't think that they'll include me in the reindeer games or whatever, you know. That, <clears throat> I, don't, I, don't, I think that they, they'll, they'll make fun of me and they'll squirt me and they'll bully me. And, uh, and my grandfather said something I never expected he would, I never banked on this. He looked at me and he said, I'll make you a squirt gun. Now, you never want to hear this from your grandparents. If the whole idea is to fit in, you want what the other kids have. You never want your grandparents to say, I'll make it for you. Back in the old day, they had to make stuff, you know? But it'd be like your grandmother said, I'm gonna make you a suit for your prom. You'll be so. But back in that day, you never objected. It was an adult, it was, a, it was an elder person. You know, you showed respect and you showed appreciation. And, 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 and so I said, well, Pop, that, that'd, be, that'd be great. <laughs> so he goes down in the basement. He's rooting around down there. Now my grandfather was a large animal veterinarian. And what that means is he gave a lot of shots to horses and cows. And so he comes up with this syringe. Now, it wasn't a sissy syringe. Like they have these sissy, sissy, they throw away plastic syringe. Those are sissy syringes. These are, these are, these are for animals. These are for rhinoceri, you know? So it's big. I mean, it had glass and steel tube. Awesome. And of course, he clipped off the needle. And, and, and I looked at it and I was, I'm kind of, he said, come with me, I want to show you something. He filled that sucker up. He said, come with me on the back porch, I want to show you something. <laughs> he said, watch this. He shot that thing, it shot 50 feet in a straight line. It was unbelievable. I took that thing and I went back to my neighborhood and all of them were going. I could hit any kid on a dead run, 50 feet, shoot. Now, now, let me ask you, what made for that kind of effectiveness? Limitation. It was that little tiny hole with the huge pressure behind it. And the tinier the hole got, the farther the stream went. And the more accurate it was. God wants obedience in order first of all, to focus us enough to get something done. But that's not all. He wants obedience in order to develop in us not only a character of teachability, but also the character of reason, watch, and creativity. Because much of what he will ask us to do needs to be applied according to a context that those who told us to do it don't have. 
Do you ever notice this? When parents tell you to do something, grandparents tell you to do something, preachers tell you to do something, they don't know how you live. They don't know your life. And you'll say, boy, that's, that sounds good. But in my life, that won't work. And let me tell you why that won't work. Perfect. Let me tell you where we are right now. Well, first of all, let me give you an example. Let me give you an illustration. Uh, a few of us got back a few days ago from Egypt. Um, and it was a wonderful trip. Uh, and we went over there for several reasons, but, the, but a couple of the major ones were uh, our, our children's, Eleanor and Marty were, were teaching uh, children's leaders. In, 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 in a lot of countries around the road, uh, globe, people don't treat children like they matter very much. And so the, the, the ch- they don't have children's curriculum. And one of the strongest things we've, God's given us in this, in this, that has been created in this church is our children's curriculum. And it's been, it's been, it is wonderful. It is, you, those of you know it. Because of it, our children know the Bible better than most of us. Um, but, but, the, uh, but it's been translated into several different languages, including Arabic. And so they were teaching these children's leaders. Meanwhile, I was teaching the pastors and church leaders uh, from uh, uh, probably a couple hundred churches. And, and everything I would say to them, they would say, and you, you know this if you've traveled, won't work here. Works fine in America, won't work here. And one of the things I, I said to them was, you know, in order to be an effective leader, you have to limit the number of close relationships you have. Yeah, let me say that again. You have to limit the number of close relationships you have because you can't love everybody the same. If you try to love everybody the same, you will constantly be, be um, 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 frustrated and lonely. And so you have to, you know, Jesus had um, um, Peter, James, and John, a little closer, you know, they're a little triumphant, and, and, and then the 12, and then the 70, and so on and so forth. And so part of, the, part of the thing of leadership is you have to have a team that you build that has capabilities you don't have, and it's a complementary team. And so I was, I was telling them about Becky, uh, I always talk about Becky when I, when I go anywhere, you know, and she's my very best friend, and, and we are indivisible. We just, we just are indivisible. We complete each other's thoughts and, 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 and sentences and, and, and so on and so forth. And I said, and then I've, I've got Vernon and Connie, uh, Vernon and, and uh, Tim, um, as the other parts of my brain, the, the operational parts of my brain. And they're very close, and I don't know what I'd do without them. I don't, I don't think I, I could lead without them. They're that, they're that important to me. Um, and, then, and, and, they, and, and so they stopped me. They said, that won't work in the Egyptian church. I said, what do you mean it won't work in the Egyptian church? I said, Jesus had people who were closer to him. And the response was, I know, but Jesus didn't pastor an Egyptian church. That was the response. I said, touche, tell me, tell me why it won't work. And they said, because in the Egyptian church, especially in some of our churches, you know, the small churches out in the countryside, the congregation is very jealous of the pastor. And if it looks like somebody's getting closer to the pastor than they are, they'll become very jealous. I said, well, I'll tell you what, the principles of scripture don't fail. So you've got to figure out how to work this. Well, I taught, I don't know, I think seven times or eight times, and, 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 and this, the, the two, two, next two times, they came back and they told me how they were working it out, how it would work, you know. One pastor came back and said, you know, I can't do it in my congregation. 
but there are other pastors within walking distance of me. And, and could I do it with other pastors? I said, absolutely. So you see why God gives us limitations. He gives us limitations so that we can apply it. Everything I say to you, you need to apply or your life won't work as well. You just don't need to apply it in any way that I would understand. That's, that's part of God's gift of creativity to us all. Let me, say, let me say, though, when it comes to obedience, and let me tell you why this, I, I said this is a different thing. Obedience is a matter of intimacy, and it's a matter of, of, of realizing the potential of our purpose. It is not a matter of salvation. I, 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 the difference between the other religions and us. Let me, let me just give you a broad sweep here. And, and I'll probably get in trouble for this. I haven't done this in any other service. And I probably won't, probably won't do it in, 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 in any other. But in the Eastern religions, the whole idea is non-individuality. That is, you, 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 are, you are at one with the universe. And, and, and as you develop individuality, that, that creates desire and that creates pain and so on and so forth. And so ultimately, you just want to rejoin the universe, non-individuality. In the, in, the, in the Western, the Abrahamic religions, in, in, both in Islam and in Judaism, the, the, the um, behavior is really important and morality and, 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 and raising, you know, raising your performance level and so on and so forth. Very important. But in Christianity, you're saved by grace. So obedience is not a matter of salvation. Because that would be about works. It says it's, we are saved by grace through faith. And that not of works, lest any man should boast. So it's not about behavior modification. Jesus said something that has been so misunderstood by so many people. In Genesis, uh, I'm sorry, in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, he says this. He says, not everyone who, who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Now, let me tell you the major misunderstanding that people take this verse for. They're, they think he's talking about getting into heaven. He's not talking about getting in. He's talking about getting into the kingdom, which is what? Both in heaven and down here, it's walking with God. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth. And so what he's saying is disobedience leaves you out of walking with God, creating heaven on earth. That is the price, that's the consequence. It's not that you, that you can't get into heaven after you die. If that were the price, who would go to heaven? None of you and not me. So it's not about obedience to get into heaven. That's been taken care of on the cross. Obedience is about establishing the life that you want to establish on this earth and fulfilling your purpose. Now, this is key. I, 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 I told people in Egypt just exactly what I tell you. I said, each of you, and again, this is different than any other faith. Each of you have been created in your mother's womb, knit together in your mother's womb, 
fearfully and wonderfully made. Your days are ordained when there was not yet as one of them. In other words, all of you have a purpose from God no one else can fulfill. You're the only one that can fulfill that purpose. It says in Ephesians, we are created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You have a purpose that no one else can do. No one else can fulfill. That's why you're still here. That doesn't apply, by the way, just to people. That applies to churches. No one can fulfill, no church can fulfill the purpose that God created Northland for. There's special DNA, special purpose, special history. When God knitted us together, it wasn't, watch this, primarily to be a church that solves problems. Somebody once uh, uh, talked to uh, Peter Drucker and they said, why do American corporations not really come up to the fullness of their capabilities. And Drucker said this, because most corporations, most institutions spend 80% of their time and resources solving problems instead of developing potential. Churches do the same thing. How many churches you belong, have you been in where the next thing was, how do we solve this problem? How do we solve this problem? Well, we gotta solve this problem. And you can never, have the impact on the world because you're, you're all caved in on how do we fix ourselves? The people are all, how do I fix my life? Well, we do a little of that, but I got to tell you, the purpose of this church is to develop your potential because God made you for, to, to make this world a different place. And don't worry if you don't know exactly what it is right now. We will, we will help you so that you can hear the voice of God, whether to turn to the right or to the left, the voice that comes behind you. You remember that story about the, the American businessman that went over. He just felt like he, he had made all the money and, and he just felt like, you know, that he, he had something that, that God had for him to do in life and he didn't know what it was and he wanted to know what it was and he thought maybe if he just went over and just worked with the poorest of the poor, worked with Mother Teresa. You know, she had this ministry, Sisters of Charity still have it. They work with the, the poorest and the sickest and the dying. And, and so he went over and he thought, well, if it'll come clear to me over here. And so day after day he worked, never saw Mother Teresa, but it didn't come clear to him. He kept asking God, What's your plan for my life? Never came clear. One day, Mother Teresa comes by. She knows who he is. She knows what he's been doing. And she says, thank you for serving the poor. He said, Mother, I want you to pray for me. She says, what do you want me to pray for? He said, I want you to pray for clarity. She looked at him and said, no. <laughs> he said, no? She said, yeah, no. She said, you don't need clarity. She knew his background. She knew what he'd do with clarity. He'd just go work it himself. She said, I will pray for trust. 
you need to trust. If you don't exactly know what God wants to do with your life, trust. You can figure it out with him. But remember that old hymn, trust and obey. Because those two go together. Do you remember Jesus' prayer in the garden? The ultimate prayer of obedience? The one where he was a little bit confused about the details of the plan for his life? In Luke twenty-two forty-two, remember this? He prayed, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. The way I had it memorized, if there be any other way. Remove this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. What was he saying? I may have this mixed up. I may not know exactly what my precise, maybe there's something, but it's not about me. It's not about my will. It's not about what I want. It's not about my comfort. It's about you. Your will be done. That's the ultimate prayer of obedience. And let me tell you why we need to be conformed to the image of Christ. Because God has made a purpose for every one of our lives. And as we yield to God in God's way, then we will be fitted to that purpose. Now let me get back to kids just for this last little turn here. Probably the best um, um, verse in Scripture, the one you've heard most in Scripture, um, um, is Proverbs 22.6, where it says, it says, train up a child in the way he should go, and even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, of course, the he is a she also, but I want you to see where they're looking for the result. When he, she is old, they're looking into the future, aren't they? They're not just looking as to what's effective in the moment. They're not looking at behavior modification. There's an old saying that says, shouting to make, and most of you get obedience by shouting. You raise the decibel level and threat level. And there's an old saying that says, shouting to make kids obey is like trying to steer the car with a horn. It really doesn't work. You know, shouting at kids may work for a moment, but it doesn't do anything to shape their character. It doesn't do anything to build new patterns. It doesn't do anything to fulfill their purpose. It just gets momentary. Watch this. Obedience plus exasperation. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. And so therefore, there is another way to apply this principle. Let me tell you what it is. The word train here is very specific. It doesn't say teach your children. It says train your children. It's the same word used when it comes to training animals. When you train animals, what do you do? You take them through patterns day after day. It takes a long time. Anybody train animals? It takes a long time and a lot of patience to train animals. You never, you never get results by yelling at animals. You, what do you get results? 
You give them a little treat when they, when they do something right or, or towards something right. Positive reinforcement, right? You don't exasperate animals. You give them positive reinforcement. You build them up. And finally, they'll have a pattern of behavior in them that will, that will fulfill their purpose as, as, as your, the master see it, okay? How do we fulfill the master's purpose in us? Scripture says it, there's, a, there's a Hebrew word used here. And, 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 and the, 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 the uh, word used is hanak. Hanak, we, we, the uh, Hebrews get the word uh, Hanukkah from it. It means dedication. And, and, and what, it, what it means is, according to how the child is wired, according to the giftedness of the, of the child, according to the purpose for which that child was made. Everybody knows every one of your kids wired differently. Every one of them. Every one of your friends is wired differently. If you're trying to help a friend, help develop a friend, every one of them is wired differently. And so you can give them the same directive. And, and most of the time with kids, they'll come back with a one-word response. Why? Wants you to do this. Why? Now, they're not trying to resist. They're saying, Karen, take me along with you. When they say, why? That's your opportunity to treat them as somebody with great potential who you want to develop, someone whose, whose, whose character you see for the future. So if that kid, as you pick up, is wired kind of like a prophet, I'll just use a few of the spiritual gifts here just to give you the idea. You know what a prophet is? A prophet cares about two things. Is it right? Is it wrong? Prophet's always black and white. Right? Wrong. True, false. Just tell me. So if you look at a kid and say, because I said so, and the Bible gives me charge over you, and that's, and that's the right thing to do, they'll go, all right. Not only that, but they'll go tell their friends about it. I mean, prophets are just wired like that. What if your kid, though, has a, has a gift of mercy, and you try this because I said so? That won't record with them. If your kid is a naturally sympathetic, empathetic kid, and they want to know, why do I have to do this? Why do I have to act like this? Why do I have to obey? Then you look at them and say, because I can tell you, if you don't, if you live a life of disobedience, someday, some person, maybe many people in your life are going to get hurt. And be, it'll be because you. It'll be because you didn't obey. They'll get hurt out of a consequence of your disobedience. And they'll go, well, I don't want that to happen. It's okay if I get hurt. I don't want them to hurt. You just connected with something very precious in them. The capability of empathy. You said, I see you as someone who cares about people. So that's the context for your obedience. Let me give you one more. Say you got a kid who is a who's, a, you know, just wired to be a teacher. There are some of us who want to know, just give me point lessons on this. Give, give me categories. Give me, give me, you know, logical reasons that I could explain to someone else. Because I, I, want, I want the full lesson here. 
And so when they say why, you have to give them three positive effects that this has and three negative effects that disobedience will have. And then they've got a lesson they can teach somebody else. The point here is you've seen that obedience has to do with the potential in who you are pouring your life into and you're bringing out that potential because that potential was put there by God. And someday you want them to walk in the purpose that God made for them. We need, a, we need a time of prayer. And in order to get us there, I'm going to invite the worship team out. There's a, there's a song that is from a father to a son, but, um, but it's really from our father to all sons and daughters. And then I'm going to come back and we're just going to spend a few moments because any of you who know anything about mentoring or teaching or parenting or grandparenting or anting or uncling or friending know that you can only do so much as the, and the rest is up to God. And if you don't know that, you're miserable. And so the only good way to end this service would be to turn the people who are under our influence directly over to God and ask for his help. So that's what we'll do in just a few moments.